0: What fascinates me about worry is that it can be a combination of something that could, could happen. It's like actually happening. We could be worried. But nine times out of ten, it's potentially what could happen, right? Like Isn't that where worry is anchored? It's in the what ifs. We ask that question, what if? Have you thought about this? Could this? Maybe. That's where worry tends to rest. The actual thing hasn't happened, but we're worried about what could or might or maybe happen. Uh, uh, Worry uh, has been defined this way, and I, I relate to this, maybe you can. A small trickle of fear that meanders through the mind until it cuts a channel into which all other thoughts are drained. I can totally see worry. I mean, if you guys have seen Inside Out, worry should have been a character, Worry, walking through the halls of my brain, touching everything, going, hmm, that's pretty, and putting it back, and now I'm worrying about that, or the worry walking through the channels of my brain, and what I see in family, and, and finances, and work, and all that other stuff, just touching everything just putting his hands on stuff and not actually buying anything but just touching everything and putting it back and now I'm worrying because worry has touched it. And so I I get that. I relate to that understanding because worry does. It's like this thing that starts to affect everything else as we let it. Um, Worry, um, described by the psalmist Ray LaMontagne. Worry. Worry, 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 worry. Just won't leave my mind alone. Right? I mean, that's... that's Right? That's We get that, because that's where worry sits down and just goes, I'm comfortable right here in our brain and sitting on our head. If you can picture worry, it just likes to sit on our head. Um, I read a story of a, of a pastor giving an illustration to his congregation from like the 1800s, and he said... That a man was walking to his town and on his way in, uh, death was walking next to him. And death told him, I'm going to kill 10,000 people in your town. And the man said, that's crazy. And he runs into the town and just begins to announce, death is coming, death is coming, death is coming, death is coming. And at the end of the whole thing, 70,000 people were dead. And so death was on his way out of the village and the man said, you said you were only going to kill 10,000 And death said, I did. Worry and fear killed the rest. I got that. That made sense to me, especially living in a day, in an age where the world is out of control. Chaos spinning, who you let in, who you don't, who you talk to, who you listen to, who you let lead. I mean, the number of things is out of control, fear controlling. And we'll talk a little bit about that next week. But the understanding is that worry is destructive. Jesus makes it clear that the power of worry uh, in his conversation about soil and seeds, in fact, read in Matthew 13, listen to what worry can do. Matthew 13:22 says, "...the seed that fell among the thorns represents those who hear God's word, but all too quickly the message is crowded out by the worries of this life and the lure of wealth. So no fruit is produced." If worry is left unchecked in our hearts, you and I can forget the word of God that we have just heard the minute we walk out those doors. Do you know that? Do you know that the word of God can be planted, encourage, cause you to go? Ah, I have strength. But if you let worry do what it does, by the time you walk out that door, you've already forgotten, and it has crowded out what God has designed to plant in us with His word. That is the destructive nature of worry. We forget God's promises, and it renders us ineffective, fruitless, is what Jesus said. Now, just as I've described the power that worry can have, I need you to know that hope is greater than worry. Say it again. Hope is greater than worry. Do we believe that? Because as the people of God, I, I, I do see that Jesus says that we are to believe that, that hope is greater than than worry. The actual word that comes, the word worry, actually um, the word that we get from the Anglo-Saxon definition is to choke or to strangle. Do you relate to that? Because I do. There are times I feel like with worry that it's around my throat. I can't sleep at night. I can't get comfortable because worry's got its grip on my neck. You and I can relate to that definition of what worry does. Because we feel the weight of it. We understand it. Now to be clear, you and I cannot have an accurate view of hope unless forever eternity is attached to it. You need to understand that as a Christ follower, we live in a day and an age where we don't like to talk about eternity. We like to talk about the here and now. And I understand that because we've we've swung it to extremes. We've got the, I got my golden ticket and I'm sitting ready for Jesus to come back and I ain't going to do anything about it. Jesus is for today. Yes, he is. But he is for eternity as well. And you and I cannot have an accurate view of hope unless forever is attached to it. The promises of God, the eternal promises of God, cause you and I reason to hope. We will not be disappointed. Hope in the scriptures is described as a confident expectation. Now I know that doesn't make sense to us because when we're doing 55 in a 25 and we drive by a cop, what do we say? I hope he doesn't pull me over. You get that shaky feeling in your legs, you know? It's like, it's that weird feeling. You're like, I am totally done for if he pulls out. If he comes out behind me, I'm going to jail. I'm not passing go. I'm not collecting $200. We get that feeling. For some of you who are students, you're like, I hope I don't fail that test. Right? Well, you didn't study for it. So you hope you don't get grounded. Right? It's all fear-based. And the reality is, in the scripture, we see hope is a confident expectation. Something that we know is going to happen. And we'll see why in just a minute. The truth is you and I are addicted to hope. We don't go a day without hoping. But the reason we end up so disappointed is because our hope is anchored in the things that are here and now. You and I walk in moments of disappointment most of the time because our hoping is in the stuff that we can see. The objects of our hope. We live in a disappointing world. Why? Because we hope in our job we hope in our possessions we hope in our relationships we hope for our governments. we put our hope even in our church and we find ourselves disappointed because these are temporary things these are people, places, things they are objects of the here and now And what do we do? We go, well, I was disappointed by this one thing, so I'm going to put my hope in this other temporary thing. And we bounce from disappointment to to disappointment and failure to failure and being let down being let down because the things of this world will not cause us the hope we're longing for. And the reality is you and I are more hopeless than we'd like to admit. And the reason that we are more hopeless than we'd like to admit is because our hope is anchored in the things of this world. Not in the things of eternity. When you and I understand, when we sit here and go, Doggone, I've been putting my hope in the stuff of this world. That stinks. You know the reality is, that's reason to hope. Because your frustration with the things of this world is causing a hunger for what you were actually made for. you were made to put your hope in God. So as you find disappointment upon disappointment upon disappointment in the thing that you hoped for, the reality is God is calling you closer to himself. Hopelessness actually causes us to hope in the right place. That's the beauty of how God works. He does not waste any of our efforts, even when our efforts have been placed in the temporary things. Our frustrations will come as we put our hope in the things of this world, because God said they would, and his desire is that we would turn... And place our hope in Him. Jesus takes very seriously where we look. Let's look at Matthew chapter 6. And I, I know, okay, here's the deal. Here's the deal. Before we read this, I know you've probably heard it. I know I've heard it. And I know our temptation is to go, I've heard it. But have we considered that if Jesus is who He says He is, the God of everything has spoken to His people the cure for worry. Do we consider the Scriptures to be God Himself telling His creation? He knows us better. The psalm says that He made us. He knit our hearts together. He knows why we do what we do. And He is speaking to our hearts the cure for worry. Sometimes I think we try and treat the Scripture as old hat, and that's our problem. Because we don't believe God's Word to be true. And that's why we struggle with worry. But let Jesus' words speak this morning. Jesus says, starting in verse 19, Don't store up treasures here on earth where moths eat them and rust destroys them, and where thieves break in and steal. Store your treasures in heaven where moths and rust cannot destroy and thieves do not break in and steal. Wherever your treasure is, there the desires of your heart will also be. Your eye is a lamp that provides light for your body. When your eye is good, your whole body is filled with light. But when your eye is bad, your whole body is filled with darkness. And if the light you think you have is actually darkness, how deep that darkness is. We'll talk about that in just a minute. No one can serve two masters, for you will hate one and love the other. You will be devoted to one and despise the other. You cannot serve both God and money. That is why I tell you not to worry about everyday life, whether you have enough food and drink or enough clothes to wear. Isn't life more than food and your body more than clothing? Look at the birds. They don't plant or harvest or store food in barns, for your heavenly Father feeds them. And aren't you more valuable to Him than they are? These things dominate the thoughts of unbelievers. But your Heavenly Father already knows all your needs. Seek the kingdom of God above all else and live righteously, and He will give you everything you need. So don't worry about tomorrow, for tomorrow will bring its own worries. Today's trouble is enough for today. Worry comes as a result of storing up treasure here on earth. It comes from thinking, my treasure needs to be here. And what do we worry about when we build our treasure here? Who's going to steal it? Who's going to take it from me? Have I gotten enough of it? This is the natural process of storing up treasure here on earth. This is why Jesus gives us the eyeball talk. This is the, I've always been a little confused why we're talking about treasure in heaven and where we're storing it. And then Jesus goes into this body talk, this eyeball conversation. I'm like, that seems random and weirdly placed. Jesus, you're just mysterious. But the reality is, I've learned as I've gotten older that what I look at matters. Where I set my eyes matters. Because what you look at, right, it goes in your brain, you start to chew on it, and then it directs your heart. And so there's this whole process that Jesus is saying, look, if what you're looking at is light, ultimately his kingdom, treasure in heaven, as you're looking at him, the eyeballs fill the body. And when you're filled with him, there's a difference in the way we respond to things in life. But, but Jesus says, look, if the thing you're looking at is darkness, it's going to fill your whole body. It's going to jack you up. It's going to mess with you. It's going to torment you. It's going to destroy you. And then Jesus gives an even heavier warning in verse, 30, uh, verse 23. And if the light you think you have is actually darkness, how deep that darkness is is what jesus is saying here is if let's say you you love money you want money it's all you're thinking about it's all you do it's your whole life and in your brain your body and your heart you have said this is what i need to live this will define me this will make me this will become everything i need in life jesus is saying if you think that that money is light you will be more committed to that thing and the fact is you're actually destroying yourself Jesus is saying that where you look matters. And that if you think that object that you're running after that is based here and now will give you everything you ever hoped for, Jesus is saying that darkness will be doubly dark for you. Worry is a worship problem. Worry is not a circumstance or person-first situation problem. Worry is a worship problem. Jesus said the natural response of those who were unbelievers was to worry about where they lay their head, what they would eat, what they would drink, and what they would wear. Jesus said those thoughts will consume unbelievers because they don't know the provider. They don't know the one who created us and gives and provides and cares for. Jesus said unbelievers would be consumed with these thoughts, but for his people it would be different. Worry is a result of fixing eyes on the things of this world. Worry is a result of lacking of confidence in God. Worry is a result of walking away from God. Worry ultimately leads us away from God. Worrying is us saying, I've got to figure this out on my own. It's saying, Jesus, I don't trust you. But the reality is Jesus gives us a test and it involves a bird. And I love the way Jesus teaches. I love the way Jesus explains things. I love that he said, look, you have a problem with worry, go look at the birds. And I want you to understand that word look is not to glance at, it's just kind of, ah, cool. It's actually to consider or to study the birds. You look healthy. You look like you're getting three square meals a day. You don't even do anything for it. That's crazy. Feathers look good. You look clothed. You have friends, too. That's weird. Huh. This is interesting. I feel like Mark Wahlberg. How you doing, bird? (laughs) Say hello to your mother for me. Just kidding. But the reality is, this is what Jesus invited us to do. If you struggle with worry, he says, go look at the birds and go look at the lilies of the field. And if they start worrying about where their food comes, how they're going to dress, then you can start worrying. But he said they don't. But he says, on top of that, that God cares for you even more. That's the beauty of setting our eyes on the kingdom of God, the one who cares for us more than birds. Many sparrows, Jesus said. You are worth more than many sparrows. The reality is, it's easy for us to think that now matters most. It's easy to forget that as someone that's hidden in Christ, I am never without hope. We forget those things. And in Luke chapter 12, Jesus says this, and and as he's kind of retelling the very same thing we're talking about, he says, can all your worries add a single moment to your life And if worry can't accomplish a little thing like that, I love how it's a little thing for Jesus to add a moment to our life. I love how he's like, that's a little thing, man. What's the use of worrying over bigger things? This is where we begin to see the power of God. If worry could do that, if worry could add a moment to our life, then go for it. But because it doesn't, Jesus says you need to drop it. I remember being told this a long time ago, and I don't even remember who said it. And I know it came from someone who was older than me. They said, worry is like a rocking chair. Gives you something to do, but it won't get you anywhere. We think we have control of the situation because we worry about it, right? Somehow we think we're more invested in a situation, topic, difficulty, whatever it is, because we worry about it. I've got to get a grip on it, and so I'm going to worry about it. The reality is, it does nothing but destroy. We think by festering on something, stressing over something, worrying about it, that we're actually taking care of it. When the reality is, the word of God pushed away. We think we're in control. But, 1 Peter 5 says this, Give all your worries and cares to God, for He cares about you. To acknowledge that we aren't really sure how things are going to pan out is fine. Yes, the right now is pressing. Yes, life is broken and the world is tough. Yes, suffering and disappointment is difficult. Yes, people will let you down. Yes, things we have trusted will fail us. And yes, there will be sleepless nights. But we confess our worry, we surrender our worry, and we fix our eyes on hope eternal. Giving all our worries to God. Why? Because it says God cares for you. Do you know worry does not care about you? God cares about you. That's the beauty of the invitation. His shoulders were meant to carry our worries. The things we're putting our hopes in that are temporary... My wife, I'm not meant to hope in. She wasn't meant to carry that weight. I wasn't meant to hope in her. My children, they weren't meant to carry the weight of all my hopes. They can't carry that weight. They weren't meant to carry that weight. Your job can't carry the weight of your worry and your hopes. It wasn't meant to. Money can't. Fame can't. Fortune can't. Popularity can't. Pleasures can't. God was meant to carry the weight of your worries. In fact, he asks for them. This is why we have hope. And as the band comes and we, con- we conclude with our time of communion together, 2 Corinthians chapter 4 says that our hope comes in what we don't see. And this is where the, the big old switch happens. We think our hope is in the things that we see. The reality is, as Christ followers, our hope is in what we do not see. 2 Corinthians 4, For our present troubles are small and won't last very long, yet they produce for us a glory that vastly outweighs them and will last forever. So we don't look at the troubles we can see now. Rather, we fix our gaze on things that cannot be seen. For the things we see now will soon be gone. Did you hear that? The things that we see now will soon be gone. But the things we cannot see will last forever. The reason our hope is confidence not fear-based, is because of God's faithfulness. Not just His faithfulness for the future, but His faithfulness in the past. His promise for the Deliverer, this, this Advent, this anticipation, this anxiously awaiting the arrival of the Messiah, causes us reason to go, He did it then, that means He's going to do it then. The second coming of Christ, the return of Christ, the rescue of his people. These are the things we hope in, not the things of this world. The things that we can see will be gone. The things that we can't see last forever. Promises of God. Nothing will keep God from his people, not even death. Hope is far greater than worry. Hope has the power to destroy worry and its exhausting efforts to keep us fixed on the temporary things of this world. Hope is anchored in what will last. And you and I not only know hope because of what Christ did on the cross, we are certain of God's love for us because of the cross. Knowing of that love reminds us of all that God has saved us from and what he has saved us for forever. Hope is greater than worry.